Welcome, everyone, to Satsang. And welcome to uh, Gopal for his first Satsang. He's in Samadhi. He's sleeping very well. <clears throat> okay. So I'd like to begin by <clears throat> quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who said before each program in Hindi, With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that was a summary of his essential teaching, to welcome another person with love. The teaching, in other words, is love. You have to begin with loving yourself and then extend that love outwards. And this is the essence of spirituality. And uh, the best school of love that I know of happens in the ashrams and places and houses of the great beings. These are the great realized masters. Uh, and I had the good fortune in India to meet a few of them. <clears throat> and then I have ultimately spent many years with uh, my own teacher, Baba Muktananda. And these great masters are masters of the inner energy, the Shakti Kundalini, the inner self, the place of the inner self. And what they've done is they've explored a mystery that most of us ignore in our lives. We get caught up in the mundane, we get caught up in uh, the externals of life, not that they're unimportant, but they are the externals of life, career, family, health, all those kinds of things. And we ignore the inner, the inner essence, the spiritual, mystical essence of life. But all the time that we've been going on developing our society with our minds focused outward, there have always been this tradition of great beings who have explored the inner. And so satsang is dedicated to those teachings of the, uh, the inner path, uh, the essential spiritual path. And I like to draw on the teachings of the, the great beings, the great realizers. And tonight, one of my favorite ones, <clears throat> he was actually the first of the uh, Indian yogis that I heard about. I heard about him in my earliest days of involvement in yoga. Soon after I met the American yogi Ramdas, uh, we took uh, his workshop, met him in Chicago. <clears throat> that weekend he was doing a workshop, so of course I uh, signed up for it. And one of the things he said that fascinated me was about a teacher named Sri Ramana Maharshi. And there he is, beautifully serene and loving. You can see that all over his face now. <clears throat> and he was a, a sage that lived um, from about 1880 or so to 1950. Uh, and he was, he's actually a world-renowned, uh, one of the great sages of the 20th century. But what Ramdas told me that fascinated me, he said that Ramana taught a method of atma-vichara, self-inquiry, in which you turn within and you ask yourself, who am I? And um, 
you ask yourself on every level, and every time you discover, you ask, answer the question to yourself, who am I? Um, you realize you're not that, and you throw that one away and you go deeper. And finally, you keep going, who am I, who am I, and you go deeper and deeper, and finally, you go through a doorway and you're in the absolute. This is how Ram Dass spoke about it. I said, cool. I'd like to go through that doorway. <clears throat> well, it's not quite exact, uh, the way Ramana taught that method, but still, it was quite exciting for me. So I ran out, and I found a book in the uh, spiritual bookstore in Chicago near where I lived, and it was Conversations with Sri Ramana, and I started to read them. I couldn't make head or tail out of them. Way over my head. Let's see some more pictures. Here we have Ramana in his old age uh, with a group of Brahmin priests uh, making offerings to him. And finally, what do we have? <laughs> Ramana had many charming stories of Ramana and animals. And he had real relationships. He, had, uh, he talked to them and they talked to him. And there he is with a monkey, giving him some instruction. <laughs> Very charming. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, as I said, he, he uh, lived to mid-century. He became very well known. There was a, a dribble of Western seekers that heard about him in the early part of the century, in the 20s and later. But then in uh, around 1930, uh, the English journalist Paul Brunton wrote a significant book uh, called A Search in Secret India. Uh, we, used to, we used to sell that here. I don't know if we still, well, we still have it. <clears throat> One of the first books I read, uh, just fascinating. I, I became enamored of this genre of Looking, going to India and meeting yogis and dialoguing with them and you know, hearing what they have to say. Um, and so that's what he did. He, he said, what's all this stuff about uh, Indian mysticism? I remember when I was a kid, I used to read Ripley's Believe It or Not. You know Ripley's Believe It or Not? <clears throat> and they always talked about the Indian yogis and their rope trick. And they would make the rope stand up and they would... They had some mantra to do it, and they'd climb up at something. And I thought, wow, yogis. And you'd say how the yogis would sleep on, on uh, spikes, bed of nails, and uh, do all kinds. And I thought, yogis, weird. <laughs> and they did all these things. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so anyway, Brunton went to see what was going on, and he met many, many uh, yogis of various stripes, some uh, impressive, some very not impressive. Um, <clears throat> one of the ones he met was the author of uh, the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, which I mentioned, Mahendranath Gupta, who, who wrote the book that I draw on when I do Ramakrishna. He was a great sage. But the most outstanding one, the one that really got my attention, was Ramana Maharshi. He met him, he actually got Shaktipat from him, got awakened in his presence, and it was quite beautiful. 
part of it. So uh, this became, the book became a bestseller, and Ramana became very well known, and uh, loads of Western seekers started uh, visiting him from that point on. Um, <clears throat> and then finally, uh, um, Somerset Maugham, the novelist, read, read uh, Brunton's book, and uh, he was a bit of a seeker, <coughs> and uh, he went and spent some time with Ramana. I was very impressed, and then he wrote a book called The Razor's Edge, which is a novel about a seeker from, uh, I think, Chicago, who goes to India, uh, and he meets a sage who's modeled on Ramana, and so on. He becomes a realized being, and all kinds of weird stuff happens. <clears throat> but that also made him more famous. So, so by the time he died, he was well known. I think there was an article in Time magazine at his death and so on. <clears throat> but his teachings are fascinating. And so um, we'll, we'll uh, listen to Ramana. Actually, this uh, <clears throat> I've been looking at Ramana through the eyes of Suri Nagama lately. I became uh, enchanted by a book called Letters from the Ashram uh, by Suri Nagama, who was uh, a devotee of Ramana's. She was a, a pretty much uneducated woman. She'd been married at an early age. I forget whether it was nine or 11. You remember? Was what? Eight or, eight or nine or something. Her husband died, Hus husband died right. So she became a widow at, uh, <laughs> at a very early age. And somehow they couldn't. Uh, so that was it for life, I think. And so uh, she, uh, she turned to spirituality. And she became very interested in spirituality. And she and her brother visited various ashrams. And she went to Ramana's ashram. And she just was blown away. She got awakened there. And she loved him. And she wanted to live there. And she ended up living there. Uh, and then she would write uh, frequent letters to her brother about what was going on there. Because the brother was a devotee also. <clears throat> and these letters are priceless. They tell stories. And Ramana was very fond of her and would confide in her different things, you know, make little asides to her, you know. And uh, so these are from the, those letters. This is her letter to her brother. Uh, 10 August 1946, a few years before Ramana's death, she writes, there was a talk in Bhagavan's presence today about siddhas. Now, we called Bhagavan Nityananda Bhagavan, so they also called uh, Sri Ramana Bhagavan. So that's, Bhagavan means uh, Ramana. <clears throat> Some people said, among other things, that someone had tried to attain Siddhi and had succeeded. <clears throat> I have to explain this word Siddha, because in our tradition, we use the word Siddha as someone established in the highest truth. A city is a power of mind, uh, and a siddha is one who attains that power of mind. What do I mean by a power of mind? <clears throat> Occult powers, clairvoyance, clairaudience, uh, the eight great cities say you become larger than the largest, smaller than the smallest, 
you become light as a feather. I think the Maharishi had his people doing that so that they could uh, fly. They were all trying to fly in the TM program. And I once did an intensive with a bunch of TM meditators in it. And um, after they got Shaktipat, they didn't exactly fly, but they popped like popcorn. They were going, boop, boop. They were going like that. So they, they were practicing a sutra from Patanjali about becoming light as a feather, light as cotton wool. And they were popping like that. I thought, that's far out. <clears throat> um, but uh, but that, those are cities. Uh, and people who attain those are called cities. But in our tradition, we don't think of that. We don't. Uh, Baba would always warn against cities, the powers of mind. The Maha city, the great city, is to attain the self. And that was the one he was interested in. And when he talked about cities, he meant self-realized beings. And you'll see Ramana has the same understanding. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So he says, <clears throat> after hearing them all patiently for a long time, they're all talking about siddhas of this type of getting powers. <clears throat> Bhagwan said in a tone of annoyance, you talk of siddhas. You say they attain something from somewhere. For that purpose, they do sadhana and tapas. So it's, it, normally we don't <clears throat> meet people who are doing yoga to attain cities of that kind. But I've met a few in my life. There was a guy in Ganeshpuri who was trying to attain certain cities, several guys. One was an Indian yogi, and the other was a, a Frenchman. Um, <clears throat> he was trying to create alchemical mercury, and he wanted to get cities and do all that. And then I, in later years, I've met other yogis who try to uh, attain these powers of mind. I don't know whether it's just me, but there are a lot of miracle stories about, about gurus and Bhagwan Nityananda, millions of them. I've never been impressed by them. I was always more interested uh, in attaining the state of consciousness of these great beings. Uh, although I did, once, I did once see Baba perform a little miracle. I probably haven't told about this recently. His main miracle was to awaken people. And his main miracle was every night when I came into his presence, I was uplifted. That was enough miracle for me. <clears throat> but one time, I, um, I was in the ashram. I came around the corner, and my good friend Ram was uh, writhing in agony. He'd been stung by a scorpion. Um, and he was in front of Baba. He was writhing, writhing in agony. I thought, oh my God. And Baba started stroking his foot where he'd been stung with his foot, like that. And Baba said, and Ram said, it's going away. And he was like stunned and he got up and it was gone. Wow. I saw that with my own eyes. Of course, I didn't get stung. Ram could have been faking it. <laughs> well, that's what I saw. I thought, pretty good, Baba. <clears throat> anyway, um, so they, you say they attain something, and for that they do their practice, their sadhana, their spiritual work. 
Uh, and Ramana says, is it not really a city or attainment for us who are really formless to have got a body with eyes, legs, hands, nose, ears, mouth, and to be doing something or other with that body? <laughs> what a thought. It's a city that we are embodied, because we are formless consciousness. And here we have, we've got a body, and we walk around, and we hear and speak. It's a city. <clears throat> We're all sitters. We're all sitters. <clears throat> we get food if we want food, water if we want water, milk if we want milk. Are these not cities? <clears throat> While we experience ever so many cities all the time, why do you clamor for more cities? What else is required? You want to be able to read a mind or something? Ridiculous. <clears throat> and then uh, she writes, Nagama, about two years back, Manu Subhadar, a member of the Indian Legislative Assembly and translator of the commentary on the Bhagavad Gita by Yaneshwar, came to have darshan of Bhagwan and asked Bhagwan during a conversation why it was that they were writing about Siddha Purushas in all books, but none about seekers, sadhakas, <clears throat> and whether there are any books about sadhakas, about spiritual seekers. Now, now um, that translation, we're talking about Yanishwar's uh, commentary on the Bhagavad Gita in Marathi, which was Baba's favorite uh, scripture, probably. He, uh, he talked about it very highly. <clears throat> we all visited Yanishwar's Samadhi place, which is near Pune in Alandi, and um, we used to read that every night in the dorm before bed, a little chunk of it. And I had several different editions of it. And I had Manu Subhadar's edition. Also, I no longer have. I do have two different editions, but not that one. <clears throat> so, Bhagwan said, in Bhakti Vijayam in Tamil, there's a conversation between Yanashwar and Vitoba, his father. That is a discussion between a Siddha and a Sadaka. The state of a Sadaka can be seen in that conversation. <clears throat> so the Siddha was the kid, Yanashwar. Um, Yanashwar was a, a spiritual prodigy. <clears throat> and Vitoba, there's a whole story here. I'm telling stories tonight. <clears throat> Vitoba had been a swami, uh, and he left, he left his family, I think, he's married, left his family, ran off, became a swami, as uh, is done a lot in India. Um, uh, and so uh, his guru said, you have to go back and give up being a swami and have children and be with your wife and have children. So he dutifully obeyed that. Uh, and he had four children, all of whom were great sages. The greatest of them was Yanishwar, but also Nivriti uh, and uh, Sopana was one of the boy, and uh, uh, Muktabai, right? Muktabai was the, other, the girl. And they all were poets, saints, and great. And uh, Nivriti, the oldest one, was the guru of Yanishwar. Yanishwar was a prodigy, and when he was 16, he wrote this immortal commentary. 
And then when he was 21, <laughs> he took samadhi, conscious, uh, he left his body consciously. Uh, so that's another story which I won't tell, because I don't approve of it. But all right. Uh, so where was I about that? Uh, there was something in that, but I can't remember. So uh, we'll go on. <clears throat> so saying, oh yeah. So um, so after he raised the kids, and they were be, had become well-known saints and were doing all kinds of miracles and all this, so the father felt guilty about everything that happened, so he went off to the woods, and he was doing practice in the woods by himself. Very severe, intense yogi. So that's the background. <clears throat> so saying, Bhagwan sent for a copy from the ashram library and read out that portion himself and explained it in detail. On reaching home, Manu Subhadar asked for a copy of the conversation. Bhagwan sent a copy after getting it translated into English. Manu Subhadar added it as a supplement to the third edition of Zyanashwari. And I had that edition, and I had this commentary in the back, a discussion between Zyanashwari and his father. <clears throat> Recently, I translated that conversation into Telugu. And this is uh, uh, Nagama speaking. So she's pretty literary, this woman. Brother, you remember when you came here last full moon day, during some conversation, Bhagwan said that Yanushwar was a siddha and his father, Vitoba, was a sadaka, a seeker. Hence it was named Siddha Sadaka Sambadam, a conversation between a siddha and a sadaka. Bhagwan often says, to know oneself and to be able to remain true to oneself is siddhi and nothing else. To know oneself and to be true to oneself means to bhavana rako, it means to hold that connection with the self. That's what it means by being true to yourself. It doesn't mean by always making proclamations. It means holding it. <clears throat> if one's mind is, Bhagavan says, if one's mind is absorbed in the inquiry of the self, the truth will be realized sometime or other. That is the best city. And then Nagama writes, I give below an extract from the prose writings of Bhagwan, which bears this out. Uh, and Ra Ramana wrote, Siddhi is to know and realize that which is ever real. Other cities, other powers of mind, are mere dream cities. Would they be true when one wakes up from one's sleep? Those who are wedded to truth and have gotten free from maya or from the illusion uh, will not get deluded by them. Please understand. So he's pretty clear about it. You should not seek uh, powers of mind. I don't think any, I'm worried about anybody here particularly. <clears throat> you want to produce ash or something? Or, or pull, pull things out of your... <clears throat> so. <clears throat> so then... Of course, I was interested in all that, so I found this. Uh, I found this from Manu Subhadra's introduction to his, uh, uh, to his piece. And this is Manu Subhadra, who was the 
MP of some sort, um, and also a, a yogi and literary scholar. This is his take on his meeting with, with Ramana. He says, for over three years, I resisted the invitation of my friend, Mr. Shankarlal Banker, <clears throat> to go to Ramanashram. I pleaded with him that I was not ready, that if I went into a very large shop, I would feel ashamed to come out with my hands empty. It's very interesting. <laughs> He's afraid he won't get anything, that he'll be disappointed and that he won't, you know. <clears throat> At last I decided that I would pay a visit, and I prepared myself for about two months prior to that visit by reading nothing else except those two very outstanding books, the Ashtavakra Gita and the Avadut Gita. <clears throat> so he's preparing to meet Ramana because he wants it to you know, really be important. And these are two books that are, that are uh, books of Advaita, of non-dual, they both show um, yogis in the highest state, wandering in the woods in ecstasy, like Bhagwan Nityananda, that kind of thing. <clears throat> uh, so he did it. After finishing some work, which I had in Cochin, I set out for Trivanamalai, Trivanamalai, which is where Ramana is. Uh, Chiru, they call it. I decided I should ask a few questions in order to solve some of my doubts and framed a few questions. So he's really prepared that he's gonna ask appropriate questions and impress Ramana, no doubt. <clears throat> I was alone in a car from Katpati and wanted to go over my questions and revise them if necessary. As I formulated each question, I found that I knew the answer. So when I went and had the darshan of the Maharshi, I had really no questions to ask. <laughs> I permitted myself to observe others and to absorb the elevating atmosphere of the ashram. So the present, which is what he should have done in the first place, is you experience the, the, the shakti, the, the aura. I presented to, to the Maharshi a commentary on the Gita by the sage Yanadev, Yanishwar, a great Marathi classic which I had rendered into English after eight years of effort. So he'd already written his uh, translation. <clears throat> he was much pleased with it. He ha I had with me extra copies of the Avadut Gita and the Ashtavakra Gita published by the Sastu Trust of Ahmedabad, of which I am the chairman. <laughs> <laughs> I presented these also to the Maharshi. I mentioned I'd been reading these books and drew his attention to the very first verse in the Avatud Gita, which is as follows. It is only through the grace of God that in men with knowledge is born a desire to experience cosmic unity, Advaita, non-dual unity, a desire which protects them from the great dangers of samsara. So this is called Mumakshutva, the desire for liberation. So it's only by the grace of God. You don't know who's going to do it. And this is why uh, uh, Shivaraj's uh, talk was so pertinent. Because when you talk about these things, if a person is not in the place where they can hear them, uh, Gurdjieff used to say that 
uh, the effect of a powerful ashram is to bring out the worst or the best of you. <clears throat> it can make you crazy and miserable and negative, or it can uplift you. And so not everybody's in the same place. Now, I like to take refuge in the teaching that everybody will attain the goal at some time or other, in some life or other. But looking at the world, uh, a few lifetimes off most people. So you can't ever, <clears throat> you don't know when the, the spiritual bug is going to hit you. I certainly wasn't uh, ready for it or, or anticipating it when suddenly I got hit by this insane urge to go to India uh, from nowhere. It had no, uh, no precursor in my life. There was no, nothing in it. So you never know. And so that's why you have to be a sly man when you, uh, when you talk to your friends. I really like the way you did that. It made me happy for no good reason. <laughs> anyway. Um, <clears throat> and then, then uh, 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 Subhadar continues. I further pointed out, <laughs> Subhadar, that most of the matter in these books uh, was for the advanced Siddha, that is, the adept. For new seekers who were attempting to learn, there was not much of direct guidance. <clears throat> With infinite compassion in his eyes, uh, Maharshi looked at me and instructed one of his followers to bring a book. This was the Mahabhakti Vijayam, uh, and Bhagwan opened the book and began to read. Uh, and I noted with awe that the book opened exactly at the page where he intended to read. So he's seeing his city <laughs> there. This is a discourse between Yanishwar Maharaj and his father. So this is where Ramana tells him about this, this dialogue, in which the young son who's achieved realization is arguing with his father who is still afraid and still seeking. The father had gone to the forest to practice asceticism. The king desired to see the father because he was really impressed with his smart children and very impressed by them. And he sent his messengers to bring the father in to, to see him and the father refused. <laughs> <clears throat> so then the children went to, to the, into the forest to meet him uh, and Yanishwar Maharaj sitting on the lap of the father, he's just a little kid, engaged him in conversation. In the end, he persuaded his father to come back with him to the capital. That's the story. <clears throat> and uh, Subhadra says, the Maharshi seemed to relish reading the discourse. Those who were present thoroughly enjoyed the reading, and I discovered that I was given exactly what I needed. This is Manu Subhadra talking. <clears throat> I'm forever grateful to the sage for what he taught me. The best teacher is he who takes you from where you are to the next stage. It is not the totality of the teacher's knowledge which the pupil must consider, but the appropriateness that which is imparted at the proper moment. <clears throat> so I researched further and I have some extracts from the dialogue. I thought you might be interested at this point to see what it is. I'm <clears throat> sorry for my throat. If 
But here we go. You want to hear the dialogue? Here we go. <clears throat> Betova, the father says, it is nirvikopa nishta. So that means, uh, nishta is like devotion or stance in the formless, in the non-thought. It is only to attain the state of no mind, no thought, <clears throat> which drives away all notions of duality. Such nishta, such faith, you could say, can be obtained only by freedom from all sankalpas or desires and freedom from all society. He's saying, he's being absolutist, saying you must attain the thought-free state, and to do that you must stop thinking and stop hanging out with anyone. You must seclude yourself, go to the woods, and do that. <clears throat> so I'm here because the forest solitude is the proper place for mona nishta, for silence, mona is silence. Yanashwar. Knowing oneself and being that self alone is Brahmanishta, not living in forests. Yeah. So, <laughs> same with goals, not to live in a forest, but to know the self. Vitova. Even though one may know the self, if in the presence of one's guru, is it not necessary to stay in solitude, to remain fixed in that self? You know, it's a funny argument, but I saw this <clears throat> in the early days with Baba. There were many of the, the devotees that would argue they wanted, they couldn't stand the intensity of the ashram. The ashram was, um, uh, it was filled with yoga and chanting and meditation, but it was also filled with people and it was boiling with, with every kind of thing. And you had to face many things in yourself uh, in relationship and so on. And so some of the seekers, um, used to say, uh, you know, I want to go to a hut somewhere, a forest. And Baba would say, no, no, if you went there, uh, it's much, much more effective to stay here. And, and so this is the argument. <clears throat> Yanashwar, true yanis, true people of wisdom, realize that ignorance will not be destroyed, nor the sense of ego got rid of by living alone in the forest and doing practices. Instead, they practiced nirvikalpa samadhi with firm mind and ignored such distinctions as city versus forest, home life versus asceticism. If that is so, why should you oppose home life and live in the forest? So great sages didn't make that distinction. Even in their family life, they could attain the goal, he's saying. <clears throat> And he Yanishwar says, Sahaja Nishta, uh, which is Sahaja Samadhi is the, the natural state, the natural path. <clears throat> he says, consists of being free both from desires and aversions, from Raga Dvesha. Can hating the town and loving the forest be such a path? It's saying you're stuck in duality. You hate pe a bunch of people but you love solitude, so you're stuck in duality. So you have to be able to attain it, whatever the circumstance. <clears throat> Vitova, the world in general and the king's court in particular are filled with temptations and botherations. <clears throat> A wise man seeks to avoid all such 
by isolating himself in meditation and emptying his mind of all thoughts and entering into the state of nirvikalpa samadhi. So it's that kind of yogi that gets rid of everything. Yanashwar, the best samadhi is not to be a mere blank, not just seek the blank, but meeting blow with blow to engage in the affairs of the world and check the sense objects and be indifferent to them by opposing them with the sword of steady wisdom like King Janaka. King Janaka is the great hero of the yogi in the world because he was not only a king but a realized yogi. So he was able to do his duties. This is the goal of the Sahaja path, the Sahaja Vidya. Uh, and uh, it's the path of Sahaja Vidya. <clears throat> and that's, um, it's not to run away from life. Of course, to spend some time in isolation for a while is very good, but it's to engage life. And a real ashram, it'll be like a microcosm and you'll be engaging life around every corner. In fact, the ashram, as Baba created, was, had more life than life had. It was more filled with every kind of thing. <clears throat> Vitoba, only Sukha, uh, Sukha uh, was a great yogi from the Puranas and so on. Uh, and he was, he's the opposite of, Janish, of Janaka. Only Sukha got rid of all attachments, uh, who got rid of all attachments, was able to conquer the monkeyish mind which had accumulated within many vasanas, many desires, during countless generations. And not Janaka, who without staying in the Nirvikalpa Samadhi state, conducted his kingdom with the idea that he was Brahman. So Sukha was superior, he's saying, to Janaka, because he didn't stay in... Uh, in Samadhi, well, Sukha did. He was a monk, you know, a forest dweller. Janashwar. Only Janaka secured annihilation of the mind and was able to do what he pleased with his mind, and not Sukha, who gave up all external attachments and betook himself entirely to life in the forest. They have an argument about two yogis. <clears throat> the more we eliminate the unreal things as not this, not this, the more sense objects will go on appearing like winged white ants that swarm out from an anthill. So the more you deny, the more they'll get attacked. I noticed that, that uh, of course, in my early days of meditation, I engaged in a struggle with my mind. I decided, like Vitoba, that I wanted to strangle my mind. I was stunned when I discovered how my mind behaved. And I wasn't aware of it. I just was acting out of it. And then when I started to meditate, I started to look at it. And it was, if I can say it, fucking out of control. It just went into all kinds of things. It, you know, just awful. Emotions and mind, just a flood of these things just going on and on. And uh, I was stunned by it. And I thought, the way to do it is to strangle it, starve it to death. Shut it up. I wanted to hate it. I hated it in my mind. I wanted to kill it. And so there's a bit of that kind of violence in uh, Vitoba's yoga. <clears throat> annihilation, only uh, annihilation of the mind. Sukha did that. Uh, but Yanishwar says the more we try to do that, the more they come flooding in. The more we try to make the mind one-pointed, 
the more will the mind get disturbed, like a repressed ball rebounding. The more you try to maintain as the detached witness, the more will the delusion, I am the body, etc., assert itself, like the curly tail of the dog, resuming its bent shape. You try to straighten the tail of the dog. How is, how is he doing? She's in Samadhi. See, he didn't have to go to a forest. He came into, into society and he's attained. <clears throat> so the only majestic bliss of Brahman is to realize by means of self-inquiry that one himself is Brahman, the absolute, and that ignorance, ego, and maya are entirely illusory, like the appearance of a snake in a rope and silver in the mother of pearl. Those are standard analogies from the scriptures that, uh, you know, when you see a rope and you think it's a snake and you freak out and you have an emotion as though it was a snake and you look again and you see it was just a rope and then you calm down. So the world is like that. It's filled with all this stuff. You get totally involved. But then when you see it as it is, ah, you're calm. Oh, it's just a snake and a rope. It's silver and mother of pearl. Silver isn't, it seems like there's silver, but it's just mother of pearl. <clears throat> the realization <clears throat> that you seek sitting with your eyes closed and forcing all thoughts from the mind is weak and impotent. It is easily challenged by events and people in the world. You meditate in the cave, you attain a certain peace, then you come out into life and immediately you're challenged and uh, you know, you're, you're filled with it attachment and aversion. The real attainment is the sahaja state in which the people and events of the world are received with love and equanimity and one never deviates from the knowledge of Brahman. So to practice in the world doesn't mean you don't meditate. But you meditate every day and then you practice this natural state. You practice bhavana rako. You practice the clear space of good feeling in life. You try to, you keep your eye always on the, the peaceful center and you become aware when you move away from it. And then whenever you move away from it, you learn how to come back to it. So that's the, the teaching of Sahaja Samadhi, is to watch yourself under all conditions and keep moving towards the self, towards the clear space of good feeling. And after that speech, thereupon Vitopa agreed and went back home. That's the end of that. <clears throat> so there he won. I never heard of anybody winning an argument before in my whole life. But there's one. <laughs> or so it's written. <clears throat> so there you are. But uh, Shaivism talks about, and I've often talked about, a dual thing which is uh, the atma vyapti, which is learning how to become peaceful in meditation. And that's a very important skill that we learn by meditation, is to quieting the mind. When you turn within, you're agitated with all kinds of memories and thoughts, and I have to do this, I have to do that, or this person hates me, and blah, blah, blah. And to learn how to become peaceful in the self, by saying the mantra, by whatever method you use, finding that's called Atma Vyapti, but then also what's called in Shaivism Shiva Vyapti, 
It, that's only part of it. You have to be able to take that peace out into your life. And that's what Dhanushwar is talking about. To, that part is called bhavana rako, is to, is to be able to live your life with equanimity and joy amidst all the stuff that happens. And God knows that everyone is challenged in life. We're disagreeable people are at every turn. Look around, they're everywhere. And stuff that you don't want to happen, happens. And stuff that you want to happen, doesn't happen. And so we're always challenged in life. And amid that, if we make our goal to remain peaceful and centered amid that, then we'll become yogis. And that's the real path, is what he's saying. So interesting stuff, no? So let's meditate. <clears throat> we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And we're, we're practicing uh, Atma Vyapti now. We're going inside and find that place of peace within. Make no mistake about it. That clear space of good feeling, that inner self, that place of peace, that place of joy, is within every one of us. Sometimes in our life we feel very far away from it. We're so beset round with problems and issues and difficulties that all we know is that. And yet, no matter how bad it gets, if we have the skill and the will to go deep within, underneath all that suffering, all that pain, all that stress, <clears throat> we can find that peaceful place, that clear space. It's always there. And this is a matter of great joy for me when I understood that, that I would, no matter what would come up in my life, I would sit down and I'd say, I'm far away from it now, but I know it's just there. It's just at hand. And I would turn within, and I would use whatever method came to mind to get to that place. And so wherever you may be in your life today, <clears throat> during this time, in this moment, turn within and find that place within yourself. It exists perfectly within every person. And it's actually the goal of life, is to know that place to live in that place and to return to that place when you lose it. And so let's meditate now on the inner self, on the clear space of good feeling, on the love that's within us, on the peace that's within us. So we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakunat Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate. <clears throat> 